Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. So, um, as I was asking the Lord what he wanted me to share with you all, I really felt like um, he wanted me to share my testimony. And also, I wanted to share with all of you, I just got done reading this fantastic book by Duck Sheets. If you have not read it, it is absolutely amazing. And I want to share some of the things that also were in that book. Um, If I can find my place here. I love it that you guys are so loving and patient. So this was an insert from the book, and it just... It just blessed my heart, and I was like, Lord, I need to share this. And this is something that Dutch Dutch had said, and it said, God placed his spiritual DNA into our spirits, and we began the process of growing into what he has destined us to be. God has already placed inside of you everything he wants you to be. I'm going to say that again. God has already placed inside of you everything that he wants you to be. That is why he can call us overcomers, more than conquerors, and free from sin. He knows fully what he has destined us to be, and like a master programmer, he has already coded us for our future. How exciting and comforting is that? I mean, that is is really... (laughs) For me, it was like a wow moment. It's like, it's like things that you know that you know, but then somebody puts it in words like that, and you're like, mm, yeah, I needed that. I'm going to leave it there for a second. In Revelations, it says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. And so I just wanted to take some time and share my testimony with you. Um, I was saved in 1975. I know for some of you, you might not even have been born yet. (laughs) And I I was 21, and so I've been walking with the Lord for 45 years. During that time, um, I can tell you, that there's been mountains and valleys, there's been wilderness and deserts, but there's also been joy. There's been breakthrough and there's been victory. And I wouldn't trade any of it. Every single day has been worth the journey. I will never understand now how people um, can live life without him. For me, it's just baffling. And maybe it's because I started at 21. I don't know. Um, but I see people out there, and they're, and they're, they're hurting, and they don't know um, how to get past the hurt. I am so grateful because I had a dear friend 
dad in 1975 on a hot June day decided to tell me the truth. As a young girl, I was raised in the church. Um, My dad was a deacon. But many things happened, and something inside of me was like, if this is God, I want nothing to do with it. There was so much religion and so much of the do's and don'ts. And, but there was still something deep inside of me that was like, there has to be something more. When I was about 12 years old, um, my parents divorced. And for me, that set me on a path of rebellion and destruction. I was daddy's little girl, and when my parents divorced, he just walked out of the picture. He was there no more. We lived in the same area, but he never sought us out. He never um, wanted to spend time with us. And so the broken little girl inside of me became rebellious and destructive. Um, I had a really difficult teenage years. I put my poor mother through awful things. Um, But she loved me through it. (laughs) But even as I reconciled my relationship with her, when I found out the actual truth of what had happened that had caused a divorce, you know, I, I had to go to her and I had to say, Mom, I was wrong. I was so wrong. And I was so awful to you all those years. And I was such an awful teenager. And we began to build our relationship to what God had always intended it to be. But because there was still so much brokenness in me, um, I continued to run with the wrong crowd. I continued to get high. Um, You have to remember this is the 70s. (laughs) If you don't want the 70s word, just Google it. It'll say (laughs) drug, sex, and rock and roll. (laughs) From about 19 to 21, I was totally out of control. Although at the time, I didn't think I was. But deep down, I knew I was a mess. And there was a song back then that said, looking for love in all the wrong places. That was me. (laughs) I was there. Um, I had a spirit-filled grandma, though. And I know that she prayed for me all the time. And I know that because when I was 19, uh, I was with her when the Lord took her home. And I remember she was laying on the floor. She raised her hands straight to heaven. She had her eyes wide open. And she said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The room got suddenly dark, so dark I couldn't see anything, and then so bright that I was blinded, and she was gone. At 19, that shook me to the core. (laughs) And when I tried to explain to my dad and other people what had happened, they were just like, oh, you know, it was just an upsetting time for you. And I was like, no. (laughs) Something came in that room and took grandma out. (laughs) And uh, so then... It it, uh, started to do its work in me, but I was still going my own way. And when I was 20, I sold everything in my apartment. Everything I owned fit into two suitcases, and I was just going to hit the road with my roommate. We decided that we were going to take off for Florida for spring break, and while we were down there, she fell in love. So then we ended up in Kentucky. Well, after being there for about six months... I knew I had to get out of there. I grew up in a small farm town in Michigan, and these gun-toting hillbillies were crazy. (laughs) 
And so I, I, found, <laughs> I found a way to get away from the group and, and bought a ticket and came back to Michigan. <laughs> and, and it took a little bit because, you know, they weren't real sure that they wanted me to leave, but I was pretty sure I had to get out of there. <laughs> I wasn't in Michigan for very long, and I started to get restless again. And when you don't know the Lord, you get restless. You go from thing to thing to thing to thing because there's something in there that you're, you're trying to fill that void, and nothing fills it. And so I decided, well, I had friends in Florida. My mom lived down there. I, I would just get a plane and go back to Florida. So I bought my plane ticket, and I was supposed to leave early in the morning, but there was some kind of a miscommunication between my dad and I, and he didn't bring me the car. So by the time I had gotten to the airport, I had missed my first plane. Back then, um, you could just, they would just take your ticket money and put it on a different flight. You could just tell them, oh, I missed my plane. They were going to go, oh, that's okay, let's book in the next one. So there was another flight in a few hours, and I thought, well, I'll just book this flight, and, and rather than go back to my dad's, because he lived in Holt, I'll just go see my friend, because she lived really close to the airport. When I got there, she was really glad to see me, but there was something really different about her, and I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I mean, we were catching up, and I didn't think too much about it. She was glad to see me. And then it was time for me to leave and catch my next plane. Sorry, I got dry mouth really bad. On my way back to the airport, the Lord threw up a roadblock. Or should I call it a train block? <laughs> the train on Grand River was at a complete stop for at least 15 minutes. When it finally moved, I raced to the airport, speeding all the way, but I missed the second plane. <laughs> Exasperated, I went in, and she said, well, we do have one more flight that's going out tonight, if you want to book that one. And I was like, yeah, sure. So even though I had missed my flight, my two suitcases were on the plane. Now remember, this is all I have. <laughs> this is all I own is in those two suitcases. <laughs> So I thought, well, I'll just go back to Pat's house and hang out and so I can catch my next plane, and I'll leave like an hour early so that I can sit in the airport and not miss the next plane. I got to her house, and she looked so glad to see me. And little did I know that when I had left her house, she began to pray. Because the whole time that I was there, the Lord was speaking to her to tell me that I needed Jesus. And she didn't do it. And I left. And she said that she broke into tears and said, oh, God, bring her back. So we put a train there. <laughs> she began to tell me all of the things that the Lord had been telling her to tell me. And something inside me broke. I knew that she was right. And she said, lady, you're a mess, and you need Jesus. <laughs> and I knew, I knew at that point that she was right. And so, you know, she prayed with me, and then we cried, and we laughed. 
And I was born again on that day, June 26, 1975. And I actually wrote that down on a piece of paper because I was so afraid that I was going to forget it someday. <laughs> and, and I carried it around in my purse forever in, until I got my first Bible, and then I put it in my Bible. She, uh, she called her pastor and said, um, hey, a friend of mine just got saved, um, and they were having home group that night, and she said, can I bring her along? And he said, well, sure. And then she said to me, you want to go to home group? I was like, uh, what's home group? <laughs> and no, I don't think so. <laughs> and, and she was like, no, really. She goes, it's a great group of people. She goes, they're really nice. And she goes, actually, she said, they're all kind of like you. They've all come out of the drug culture and everything. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I was so afraid because of the experience that I had had in the church growing up that I was going to be judged. Um, and I realized that that had been a stronghold in my soul. You know, we go, we go through different things and they, and they attach themselves to us and we, and we don't really realize. But um, I ended up going with her. I was really nervous. I said to her, I said, you know, I wasn't just a little worldly, Pat. I, I was like a lot worldly. Like, <laughs> she, she said, it's okay. It's going to be okay. When we got there, um, everybody was really warm and friendly, and I really didn't feel any judgments at all. Um, her pastor and his wife talked to me for a few minutes, and um, they said, well, are you ready to be water baptized? I was like, sure, what's that? <laughs> in the church that I grew up in, they never really talked about water baptism. I, you know, so I was like, and he said, well, he said, we're going to take a group out to Lake Lansing, and we're going to baptize a bunch of people. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. During this whole time, um, my suitcases landed in Florida. And so I told her pastor, I said, um, I might have a slight problem. My suitcases are going to land in Florida. If they open them up, they might come and arrest me. I might go to jail. I had a whole pound of marijuana tucked away in my suitcase. <laughs> Back then, you could lock them. They didn't usually open them, you know. And he said, oh, well, we better pray about that right now. <laughs> and, he, and he said, Lord, don't let them open them up and just bring them back. And then I looked at him and I said, uh, what are we going to do with that once he gets back here? Because, um, you know, it's not like you can burn it somewhere. <laughs> he said, don't worry, we'll figure out what to do with it. And I said, well, if you turn it into the cops, they're going to ask you where it came from. And you can't lie, you're a pastor. He said, he said, don't worry, we'll figure it out. It was uh, later, about a year later that I had met my husband in that church. And about six months after that, we were married. And I can tell you that even though the marriage didn't work, I ended up with five beautiful children and 12 amazing grandchildren. He had, um, he had fallen away from the Lord in 1987, and he went back into the drug culture. At the same time, our church was going through a really bad shaking. Um, we were a church of about 800. People were leaving in droves. Um, looking back, I knew it was a God shaking. I didn't know that at the time. But it dropped down to about 300 people, and a lot of the elders and the deacons had walked away. And then, 
beginning in early 1988, um, I had to go in for emergency surgery. During the surgery, something went wrong, and I started to bleed internally. After surgery, they sewed me up, and they started giving me blood transfusions. And it was a very strange experience. Like I, like I knew that, that I was hovering, but my heart cry to the Lord was, Lord, I have five children to raise. I have five children. This is not my time. This is not my time. I have five children to raise. And that was my cry to him day after day. And uh, my, uh, my doctor was a believer. And he came in and he took me by the hand and he said, I've prayed about what to do and I don't know what to do. He said, the first time in my practice, I have not had an answer. He said, God has always told me what to do. He said, I'm afraid to take you back into surgery because I'm afraid you're going to bleed out on the table. But he said, I'm afraid not to do anything because I think you're still going to bleed to death inside. And I just looked at him and this peace came over me. And I said, well, then we're going to wait. We're just going to wait. If we don't know exactly what to do, we'll wait. We'll wait and we'll take it day by day or hour by hour. <clears throat> However, however, whatever we have to do. And so he took my hand, and we prayed, and he said, you made me feel so good. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, I'm really glad. And he said, now, he said, they're going to be in here like every 15 minutes, poking at you, prodding at you, taking your blood, seeing where everything's at. And um, he said, but he said, I, I really think now everything's going to be okay. I ended up with a blood clot um, in my abdomen about the size of a grapefruit. And so they made me stay in the hospital because um, that thing had to shrink down before they dared let me go. So I spent six weeks in the hospital recovering from that, but was grateful to be alive. <laughs> While I was in the hospital, um, things did not change with my husband. They went from bad to worse. And in 1989, uh, we divorced. But through that whole time, the thing that the Lord ministered to me over and over again was walk in forgiveness. Walk in forgiveness. If you can walk in forgiveness, you're going to keep your peace. And so my prayer was, okay, Lord, show me how to do this. Show me how to do this. Show me how to walk in forgiveness. And I just started praying for him. It was like, okay, Lord, I don't know. I know that you know. And the only way that I know to manifest forgiveness towards him is to pray for him. To this day, his life has not straightened out the way that I think I had always prayed that it would. But the Lord spoke to me one time, and he said, there's never a wasted prayer. There's never a wasted prayer and things, ha things aren't done with yet. And so it's one of those things where, you know, you just, you just think, oh, tomorrow breakthrough's coming. But then it didn't come. And then he says, but remember what I told you. Just walk in forgiveness. You know, as we forgive people, even the hard stuff, like I was terrified. 
I, it took me a full year to recover, and I was raising five kids by myself. And I was like, Lord, I mean, I was so glad to be alive, but it was like, Lord, <laughs> this is hard. This is really hard, and I, and I don't know what the next step looks like. But I can tell you that through it all, he never let go of my hand. He still had the plan. I can remember he would give me dreams. He would wake me up. You know, I knew that he loved me. As hard as it felt through all of that, I knew that he loved me. But what I didn't realize was that um, there were strongholds in my soul. There were strongholds in my soul from my dad abandoning me. And then there was a new one because he had abandoned his whole family. And I felt like the enemy had just dealt me such a hard blow that it felt like being hit with a two-by-four in the gut. But God was still holding me in the palm of his hand. And I would love to tell you that at that point, I started making really great decisions, that everything was sunshine and roses, (laughs) but I don't want to lie to you. (laughs) Even though I loved the Lord, I did not return back to that church. I had had really close friends during that time who withdrew from me because they didn't know how to deal with my circumstances. And they told me that years later. You know, they, they came up to me and apologized and said, you know, we walked away from you when you needed us most because we didn't, we didn't know how to deal with your circumstances. We didn't know how to deal with the fact that your husband had turned into a crazy drug addict. You know, we, we didn't know how to even relate to you anymore. And that was another one of those things of forgiveness. I had to let it all go and just let God do whatever he was going to do. And it wasn't until a few years later I was at my kitchen sink and I was doing dishes. And I was talking to the Lord and very clearly like he was standing right next to me and just talking to me out loud. He said, go to Mount Hope Church. I was like, okay. And he said, Sunday, go to Mount Hope Church. Now I knew that that was very clear. And there wasn't going to be any talking him out of it. (laughs) And so the next Sunday, I mustered up all the courage that I could. And I took the kids and we went to church. But he knew. And that began a whole new chapter in my life. It began a healing and restoration. Um, This is one of my favorite all-time Where did it go? Oh, there it is. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And I can't tell you how many times that I've opened the word to that and read it out loud and said, Lord, your word says there's a good plan Calamity is not your plan for me. And I just want to stop here and say that even though those were probably the hardest times in my life, there have been so many joys and victories that have far outweighed those hard years. Whatever he had to do in me then and from then until now, 
because I'm not finished yet. <laughs> but he reminded me, the word is full of people that have gone through terrible trials that came out on the other side victoriously. I think about David running from Saul, running for his life, you know, or Joseph being in prison, or Job. I mean, you know, at least I wasn't sitting by the fire scratching my boils. <laughs> and I can tell you that there's so much happened the following years that, that continued to test my children and I. But God is faithful. He is always faithful to restore. He is still restoring, and he will continue to restore. Our focus is always Jesus and never the enemy. But we have to remember in John 10.10, 10, the Lord did tell us that he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And we cannot be ignorant of his ways. My walk with the Lord over the past 45 years has been anything but perfect. Sometimes it's been pretty painful, and sometimes it's been pretty ugly. But he has also delivered me year after year after year. And I know that he'll continue to deliver me and perfect everything concerning me because he loves me. I had no idea back then about um, strongholds or generational curses. There wasn't that much that was taught back then in, in those early days. And those are things that we take for granted now that we should never take for granted. Um, the deliverance ministry back then was just beginning. And God in his mercy and grace delivered us in spite of ourselves. Because <laughs> we didn't really know too much about what we were doing. That day in 1975, I was born again. My spirit was alive, and I could feel his love, and I felt lighter. But my soul needed a lot of healing, and there were strongholds that needed to be broken, let alone generational curses. My journey with the Lord has only begun. He has delivered me from a lot, and I can just tell you that he has done so many miracles in my life. There are things in our soul that get stuck. They get stuck there from life experiences, and, and we don't know. And if you look at the one diagram that shows, it shows our memory and our subconscious mind. But then the other one shows our conscious mind and then our memories and our subconscious mind. And if you look at the side of where our subconscious mind is, that's where memories are stored that we don't realize that there are things there that God is going to go after because he has to go after them. His word is so good. And I lost it. Hebrews 4.12 in the translation, in the Passion Translation says, For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy like a two-mouth sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit bone and marrow meat. It is the energy of God's word that does its perfect work in our soul. Made up in our mind and our will and our emotions is our subconscious where things get lodged and 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I've reacted really strangely to a situation and then later thought, why did I react that way? And then ask the Lord, you know, and then he starts revealing things that um, we're not aware of or we don't think about. And he has to pull those things out of us. But he does that by his word. His word is what washes us. His word is what cleanses us. We have to remember that he is the one who created us. He formed us in our mother's womb, and he decided our boundaries, our parents, our siblings, and he doesn't make mistakes. Philippians 4.8 says, He who started this great work in you will bring it into a flourishing finish. Just like we cannot save ourselves, we cannot heal our own souls apart from him. His active word in us is what makes us whole. We have gone, I don't know about you, but I have gone through really busy times when I have neglected the word. I start to feel really out of sorts. I start to feel off. And I'll be like, Lord, what is wrong with me? And he would be like, um, when's the last time you opened your Bible? <laughs> His word is the, is the necessary sustenance that our soul and spirit needs just like our body needs food. We need his, fruit, his word in us to live a healthy, fruitful life. It is his word that renews our mind. Abiding in Jesus is abiding in his word, and our freedom comes through abiding. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. And then in John 1, 14, which I think is on the next one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of truth and grace. John 15, 4 says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. John 8.36 says, If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Isaiah 55.11 So shall my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, so that we would know the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? I can tell you from personal experience that once you begin to really dive into the word, you will fall in love with it and you will want more. There will be things in the word that will challenge you. And when you get to that point, you just have to talk it through with him because his word is always truth. <laughs> there have been things that I have read several times 
And then I'll come to a point and read it again, and suddenly it comes alive to me. It jumps off the pages, and I know that that is his word doing its good work in me. We all come from different places, and we're all in different places with our walk with the Lord. But he is always faithful to do exactly what he said he would do. We just have to do what he's asking us to do today. And he always says that. He never says, do what I ask you to do tomorrow. He always says, do it today. None of us are perfect. And there are times when we act out and speak out of our soul instead of our spirit man. But as he continues his good work in us, through his word, we will go from glory to glory. He knows everything about us. He is the one who created his spirit, soul, and body. He knows our every thought. He knows our every need. He knows the next breath we will take. He knows what strongholds need to be demolished by his word and how to transform our lives. In the Psalms, it says that he numbers the hairs of our head, which is amazing to me because we lose hair every day. (laughs) I hope that this doesn't encourage you to dive into his word and let it do its perfect work. And I hope that if you haven't read Dutch's book, that you will. I will tell you that when you get into the first few chapters, it will challenge you. It will challenge you in big ways, but you have to stick with it all the way to the end. I hope that sharing part of my journey encouraged everyone. And I think that we are ready for activation. Okay, so praise God. Praise God. Can we thank God for Patty, you guys? It takes courage to share that kind of testimony, yeah? So good. And so timely, Patty. You have no idea. We were um, I was having a conversation earlier this month about the importance of the Word of God, right? Um, what we're seeing happen in this era in the corporate body is we swung the pendulum one way and went word, word, word heavy, right? And then it became very legalistic, very law-focused, and then the pendulum swinged all the way the other way for several decades, and we became very spirit-filled and very prophetic and very Pentecostal, sha-da-da-da-da-da, right? And what we're seeing is that God's bringing about a convergence where it's neither just the Word of God or the supernatural power of God, but it's the supernatural power of God built upon the Word of God and explained by the Word of God, amen? So your Word is... Perfect timing, perfect timing. If we're going to go out and walk like Jesus walked and talk like Jesus talked, the very words that should be coming out of our mouth are, will align with the word of God. Amen? He will never have us do a prophetic act or do some kind of a prophetic word that does not align with the word of God and or is redemptive in nature. In the Old Testament... Even when God had his prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, give hard words against the Israelites because of their sin, it was not to condemn them. The hope when he sent them was that they would turn back to the Lord. 
So even in those moments and in those times when he has us bring a word that's going to be like she was saying to her friend, girl, you're a hot mess. It's the love of God and the goodness and the kindness of God that's in our hearts and in our expression and in our tone of our voice and in our body language that draws men towards repentance. And I just feel honestly like on behalf of the corporate church, we're supposed to repent. I don't know why that's what I'm hearing. Like, Abba, what do you want us to do today? So as an apostolic leader in this region, I specifically want to repent on behalf of leaders in this region that treated you legalistically, ones that browbeated you with the word, embarrassed you with the prophetic, oppressed you with their titles, made you serve them in ways that were not necessarily even biblical for their own ego's sake. I just feel like God's saying telling me to ask for your forgiveness. So please forgive us. Please forgive me. And Father, we release that same word for forgiveness out over the corporate body of Christ. And I ask for forgiveness for every single time a leader has abused their authority in the life of a Christian in Jesus' name. I ask for forgiveness for overreach, Father God. I ask for forgiveness for control and manipulation, Father God. I ask for forgiveness for stretching the truth. I ask for forgiveness for the times when the leaders have drawn men and women unto themselves. I ask for forgiveness, Father God, for building harems, male or female. I ask for forgiveness, Father God, for building every other thing than your kingdom. Yeah, that's hitting some of y'all. All right, and as an activation, we're going to have you pray, okay? So say, Holy Spirit, who do I need to forgive that abused their authority in my life? This is an opportunity for you to be free. What Patty said today is that forgiveness is the key. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I lay it down, but only to take it up again. There's a time to lay it down, and there's a time to take it up. He he said, this command, it's a command I received from my Father. This command I received from my Father. And then he goes on, and he said, this is the reason my Father loves me. Because I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. So Holy Spirit, who do I need to forgive? And when you get that name, I just want you to kind of visually between you and the Lord, imagine you're before the throne of God. Then I want you to lay that name or that person before the feet of Jesus. And not only the name of the person, but Holy Spirit should remind me, what were the, what were the ways they hurt me? Every instance, I want you to put it before the throne. You're giving it back to the Lord as a gift of forgiveness. This is the reason the Father loves you. Because you're willing to love the way he loved. You're looking at his sacrifice on your behalf and saying, because you did, I will. Holy Spirit, is there anyone else that I need to forgive? And I don't know why I hear this. It could be a parent. It could be an authority figure in your life. Okay, someone who had a thorn in your life but maybe wasn't a spiritual leader as well. Is there anyone else I need to forgive?
Do the same thing. Take that person before the throne of Christ right now in your heart. Just kind of picture the Lord. Holy Spirit, help me take this person before Jesus. I forgive them, Father. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and to heal my emotions. To heal my mind, the way I think about people, the way I respond in certain circumstances. To heal my memories. To cleanse my conscience so I don't feel guilty or angry or wounded. To take down every stronghold, every pattern of thinking that is contrary to your word and your way and your love. To replace it with thoughts that reflect your word your character, your compassion, and your charisma. Just ask Holy Spirit one more time. Holy Spirit, is there anyone else? And do that same thing with that person, okay? Remember the things. Lay them before the Lord. Release forgiveness towards the person. Give them back to God. He's the perfect judge. He knows how to judge them perfectly without condemning them, without hurting them, without permanently wounding them. God is a good, good judge, and he does judge, and he is just. Sometimes we want to play judge. We're not very good being God. We are made in his image, but we were never intended to take his place. Please fill every place in me. Please heal every place in me. Please restore every place in me. Please refresh every place in me. Please rejuvenate and recreate every place in me so that it looks like you. So every day with everything I do, I can bring joy to the Father. I can look like Jesus the Son. And I can love the way you love. And lead the way you lead. And live the way you live. In Jesus' name. And if you're in agreement, just say amen. Amen. Okay. Well, praise God. It is 444-55. Come on, somebody. For those of you who don't know, that's a real good number. That means it has been done here on earth. Double grace. Hey, hey. Five is uh, Hebrew. Hey, in the, in, in the Hebrew, that means grace. Double grace. Four is the number for the earth. It's gone to the three winds. Come on, somebody. Daddy likes numbers. I hope you had a good time today. We love you. We are so glad you're here today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up your countenance. And in the Ireland, we like to say, may the wind always be at your back. We love you. We'll be here next week, I believe, right? And don't forget Tuesday night, 6.30. We have snacks in the atrium. Please eat some food. I want to remind Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good 
and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, and more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.